spacecraft did not crash in Roswell, New Mexico in 1947. You know flat earthers, I guarantee it. But you don't know who they are because they're afraid of talking about it. Hello and welcome to the 118th annual Subliminal Session Podcast, your weekly dose of conspiracy theory bullshit. My name is Cody. I'm joined by my pal Phil. How are you? Doing uh, doing all right, Cody. How about yourself? Not doing too bad. I, I have an interesting scenario transpiring in Minnesota at the moment. If you're aware, now I'm not going to say it was the Jewish space lasers, but apparently there are some fires going on, I'm assuming in California, and Minnesota is currently like, the sun's blocked out from the smoke. Yes. Okay. So, uh, and there's like, (laughs) whatever they call that, oxygen warning or whatever, uh, atmosphere warning, air, air, Air Some, quality warnings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the past like two days has been really gloomy out, but you can see like the sun behind it. It's very, very weird. Yeah. Well, I mean, I usually it's just the winters in Minnesota, which are extremely gloomy. And but I guess I hadn't really experienced it during the summer when I lived up there. Yeah. In uh, in Phoenix, we have air quality warnings all the time, uh, high ozone levels and pollution warnings and well, well a lot of a lot of it is dust too so well see uh there must be wildfires going on somewhere and all the smoke is making its way up here yeah i do believe there's uh some wildfires going on in uh like the western states so yeah i mean that's usually where it is now do you believe it is the jewish space laser lasers or something else i uh i don't really think it's no i don't think it's those jewish space lasers <laughs> I don't. I don't know if they're still active. So yeah, I haven't I, heard anything from old Marjorie. Yeah. Lately, oh no, so. no, no. We'll oh, be checking Facebook. So no, Marjorie. She got banned from Twitter or something, and she is not happy. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, Phil, uh, let's talk about another uh, fire fire storm, maybe uh, that transpired in Phoenix. What what happened down there? Yeah. So uh, the Suns, the uh, you know everyone's now favorite team in the city. Uh, they actually lost. They went up uh, two games to nothing, and then they dropped the next four games. So they are uh, out of the finals. The Milwaukee Bucks, the dreaded Wisconsin team, has actually won the finals. So congratulations to them. They, uh, they're they a really good team. But yeah, there's uh, quite a lot of uh, the real Suns fans are disappointed, and the bandwagoners are wondering what to do with all the merch that they bought that they're never going to wear again. So, well, they just have to buy some bike bucks gear. Maybe. Well, to go back to wearing their Lakers gear, probably. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, yeah. it's a, it's a real tragedy. I obviously I wasn't following uh, the the series like Phil was, but when I when I saw it last night, I was quite shocked because usually you don't get swept after getting two games ahead. Yeah, that uh, that really does not usually happen. Kind of like the shock was really spread out. So 
didn't really feel it too bad, like I'm in my case, because I we actually went to the bar and watched game three, the first game that was in Milwaukee, and uh, they lost that game. Then they lost the next game, and it just every loss was just like a holy shit, they could actually lose this. And then that last, uh, it was game five. They lost that game, and you really felt like, oh, fuck. Like, they're going to drop this. I could just tell. Then they lost last night. So, yeah. I mean, you know, they're a good team. Hopefully, they're back in the playoffs next year. Hopefully, they can find, uh, I guess, their point guard, Chris Paul, is going to probably go to the Lakers, maybe, or another team. So, who knows? Well, you still have the Cardinals, the Coyotes. (laughs) They're going to be good. Yeah. Yeah, the Kai. Did you know the Vikings? Uh, week two, Vikings Cardinals. Watch out, everybody. Yeah, it uh, should be a good one. No, I. Uh, yeah, the Cardinals are going to be good this year. Actually, before we get started, I just want to before before I forget this, I wanted to thank. We've been getting actually quite a few like really good emails and a lot of uh, feedback from the fans. There was one really good email. I just wanted to thank Ivan out in Buenos Aires. Uh, he actually sent us an email, a really good one. Uh, you know, kind of almost like rejuvenated me while I was, I, was, I read it while I was writing this episode. So I really wanted to thank him for that. Great. Email. Yeah. Thank you very much. I even really yeah. appreciate that. Thank you to everybody else who's written us emails as well. Uh, those are yeah. kind of like a, I don't know. It's like a precious moments figurine in an email <laughs> form. It just kind of pumps you up, gets you ready to go for the day. Yeah. You kind of you kind of forget that people like do actually listen to this. Yeah, kind of you know like in my mind it's just me and you just bullshitting, just talking, but you know don't realize that it's thousands of fans a month actually listening and Hell you yeah. Know, so thank you for those emails at subliminaldpodcast at gmail dot com if you want to get a hold of us. Uh, but yeah, thank you, Ivan. You know uh, he listens to us during work, so uh, which a lot of people listen to podcasts like you and I during yeah. work so yeah well i cannot any longer but i wish i could i used to obviously a lot but uh, uh one final thing we need to talk about before we get in the episode here regarding our patreon phil and i had been releasing what we called off the record episodes which are basically uh, banter shows between phil and i uh more video based episodes we have about 15 of them right now. Um, we, Phil and I, in the future, are going to be kind of switching gears and maybe changing the types of content that we are going to be releasing. So that will probably be changing in the next few weeks here. Have some new and fresh material for everyone. Uh, if you weren't aware we have a Patreon or you'd be interested in signing up, you just got to go over to patreon.com slash subliminal deception. It'll take you right there. Sign up at any level. Uh, Phil and I are going to be working on the Patreon, kind of changing it and improving it in the future. So thank you to everybody who has supported us right now. There will be more rewards headed your way. With that out of the way, Phil, uh, let me let you go ahead and uh, take us into whatever the fuck we're talking about this week. <laughs> All right. One important part of society's collective culture and history is that of a figure who is considered a hero to the masses. And in many cultures around the world, heroes were men and women who showed great determination in the face of adversity, standing as an example as what a citizen can do when they emanate the virtues of that society they hold so dear. Political leaders, 
rebels, generals, scoundrels, and artists rose to fame and sometimes infamy on the backs of their own legends of great deeds and tall tales. Now, national heroes like Admiral Horatio Nelson in Great Britain, Genghis Khan in Mongolia, Simon Bolivar in Latin America, and of course, Celine Dion in Canada, all emanate these virtues. Okay, so are you saying Celine Dion is the hero for Canada? Possibly the greatest hero on that list. Come on, I mean... More than Adam Ant. Just watch South Park. You'll see. (laughs) I've actually been watching... (laughs) Quite a bit of it, Phil. Uh, I've been watching it in the background, and I have been laughing. By the way, I wanted to say, anybody out there, you should watch the either the QAnon South Park episode or the Anti-Vax uh, South Park episode. Very good. Very good episodes. Um, but yeah, would you put Celine Dion over Jewel or... Here's the th- he- okay. here's the thing. I was going back and forth between Celine Dion and Wayne Gretzky, though that was my comedy insert. Okay. So I threw Celine Dion. Okay, all right. Well, I feel like we're forgetting one really big one, really big Canadian that like everybody talks about, but I cannot think of his fucking name. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, uh, yes. Yeah, so you got a lot of famous people here, and you got two massacre. Or what would you say, the Genociders in Genghis Khan and Celine Dion. Now, the other two, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, Admiral Horatio Nelson actually was uh, instrumental in the war against uh, France, the Napoleonic Wars. And Simone Bolivar is considered kind of like the George Washington of Latin America independence movements. So Okay, we like to ride yeah. a horse naked and stuff like that. Yeah, possibly, possibly <laughs> wooden teeth. So. Okay, excellent all rode their own personal successes and folklore to achieve new cultural deifications. In early America, heroes of war, specifically the Founding Fathers, were revered early on as a benchmark for what it meant to be a true American, changing later on in the mid-19th century to heroes of the Civil War and other men and women who showed true grit and cunning in the faces of their adversaries. Though the portrayal of a hero as cunning and strong would remain, the battlefields would change, as the scenery that would find the most relevant icons would change in the late 19th century and early 20th century, from the blood-soaked battlefields to the well-dressed boardrooms, as American capitalism would eventually create the newest crop of icons taking the form of the robber barons of the emerging industries. Robber barons of the emerging industry. I've never heard of that term. Robber barons? No, no, never heard of it. I don't think. Oh, we've done an episode, it was about a year ago, the on robber barons. So guys guys like J.P. Morgan. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's yeah, just what guys. they call them. Yes, yeah, okay. that's kind of what they're known as, their, their, their nickname. So, you, so we didn't mention it, but the newest robber baron, uh, the ultimate asshole of the United States of America, just went to space and returned. Did yes, you see that? there are actually a couple uh, people you would might call current robber barons who are actually trying to go to space. Did you Jeff see Bezos? Did you see Bezos literally did it like today or yesterday? Oh, no, I haven't seen that yet. Yeah. No. Yeah, he used that poor old astronaut for clout. Otherwise... <laughs> 
Was he was he the one who rode the rocket that looked like a dick into space? I don't know. He just did something where it like went up really high and then came back down. It was like twelve minutes. Okay. I, I, something like that. I don't know. It was like a pre space flight or something. I don't know. Yeah, Instagram was going crazy with all of these uh basically spaceships that looked like big dicks. Like it was all over everyone's uh, Instagram, so it was pretty <laughs> funny. These men lauded for their ruthlessness in business, ability to forge themselves great wealth and power, and legacy of triumphant successes in the faces of anyone who may oppose them, typified this new American spirit and gained historical notoriety that fill the pages of our history books to this day. Though, in many cases, the deeds of these titans of industry were, in a lot of cases, whitewashed and glazed over leaving out their misgivings and malices with only their good deeds and greatness. These shortcomings are really what we will be discussing today as we peel back the veneer of one of America's greatest titans of industry, as we uncover the many malices and misdeeds of Henry Ford, titan of the automobile. Oh, okay. Oh, damn. Um, so... <laughs> There's one part I know about Henry Ford. I'm not going to spoil it, but I have a feeling <laughs> him and Walt so, Disney share something <laughs> very close in common. Yeah. Well, we did mention Jewish space lasers at the yeah. top of the episode. So. Okay. A little foreshadowing there. Tiny bit of foreshadowing. Definitely. <laughs> okay. All right. See, I thought initially when you started talking about Titans of the Industry, I thought for a second you were going with Papa John, but okay, clearly ah. Henry Ford. So like always, we're going to start off with a little bit of history. Now, Henry Ford was born to William and Mary Ford in 1863, being raised on a farm in Springwells Township, Michigan, located near Dearborn, Michigan, nine miles outside of Detroit. Uh, now, as a young man, he showed early skills much as a tinkerer and a mechanic, spending a lot of his time in a shop that he had equipped himself. Now, at one really kind of infamous or famous story, Henry's father, William, would gift him a pocket watch for his 13th birthday and very quickly took that watch apart and put it back together. This really did impress his family, also his neighbors. It impressed his neighbors so much that they actually requested that the young teenager fix their pocket watches for them. Uh, at the age of 15, Henry would actually build his very own steam engine. Okay, is this all confirmed? Because sometimes, you know, that's legends the, grow a little bit out of these guys. Yeah, that's kind of what I was getting into a little bit with uh, kind of like maybe infamous or famous it's is it possibly it's it's one of the tall tales, the kind of like the hero worship. So, yeah, is it is it true? I mean, is it 100 percent true? Is it kind of true? You don't really know. It's just these stories, especially. I mean, he's born in 1863. That would have meant that all of this was happening in a small like suburb of Detroit back in the 1880s. So, right. Like, honestly, I guarantee 30 years from now when Jeff Bezos is ultimately dead the biography about him is going to be like, oh, yeah, when he started Amazon, he hand-delivered everything and made sure it got to him in two days or less. I'm like, you know oh, what yeah. I'm saying? Like some bullshit-ass story like that. 
in a hundred years, the tall tales of all of those men. I mean, it's going to be a little harder now because we have a lot of like we have yearbooks and shit on all of these guys. So we know exactly like we know Bill Gates wasn't a ladies man when he was, you know, whoa, in, in whoa, high school. Whoa. You're going to be able to look back at a picture and see what he really looked like. They're not going to be able to, you know, gloss over that shit. But yeah, this was so long ago. I actually looked at the map of Detroit. Springwell's Township is actually like a built up part of town now. And Dearborn, Michigan is actually kind of really just part of Detroit. It's not yeah. its own little separate town anymore. Yeah, I've heard of Dearborn. I've heard of it. Obviously, I've never been there. I've heard of it, though. Yeah. Unfulfilled by life, uh, living as a farm boy, the 16-year-old Henry would actually leave his family's farm, going on to learn about the servicing and operation of steam engines. This was when he became an apprentice machinist at the shop of Henry F. Flowers and Brothers. He would also work at the Detroit Dry Dock Company. Uh, he finished his apprenticeship in 1882. Eventually, he would become an engineer at the Edison Illuminating Company of Detroit. And he became their chief engineer in 1893. Just imagine this time, Phil. You take something apart, put it together, and all of a sudden you're a chief engineer. <laughs> you yeah. like a well, world-famous inventor. Yeah, he's doing a lot better than I'm doing. Well, if he's, you know, 1893, he would have been 30 years old. So he's he's the chief engineer at Thomas Edison's uh, shop in Detroit. So that's, well, I, I'm just, doing pretty well for yourself. What is the engineer now for like college, like eight years or something? Yeah, well, I mean, most I think a lot of engineers will have like a master's, like a lot of the ones that I know uh, at the company that I work for, a lot of them, I think, have their masters. So I think that's more like five to six years. But okay. there's also the experience. You have to go to other companies to get experience, too. So there's college on top of on-the-job training and all that stuff. So Yeah, yeah. Not quite as easy as Mr. Uh, Henry Ford at it. No, yeah. Henry Ford just kind of did his apprenticeship learning from other men and who were doing the work. So, I mean... What he started at age 16, became chief engineer at 30. So he, I mean, that's 14 years of experience. But I think becoming like a chief engineer at the age of 30, that's really uncommon. I mean, yeah. it'd be especially uncommon these days, but even back then, I imagine, uncommon. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, in his spare time, Ford would work on his very own pet project or side project, as he really did have an interest in the internal combustion engine. He would even go on to create a one-cylinder engine in late 1893. Uh, he basically did this by shackling it to his kitchen table. And his first automobile would come about in 1896. He named this automobile he named this automobile the Quadricycle. It had a two-cylinder, four-horsepower engine. Uh, this was attached to a small chassis with one wide seat, and it had four bicycle wheels on it. And I actually have that picture down below. You can see it. Well, I can tell you one thing. Hipsters wish they could ride this motherfucker around to their, their little breweries. Oh, definitely. Yeah, this would be a hipster's wet dream to have one of these bad boys. I always remember it always reminds me of Jordan. I remember at one point uh, he he's like, yeah, I want to get a kit bike, which is like, from my understanding, like a motorcycle that looks like an early 1900s Harley, basically. OK, <laughs> it's like like a literal almost like a bicycle 
motorcycle hybrid. Like you can tell it's such a hipster thing. Like some redneck took a bicycle and strapped an engine onto it and a chain and just kind of made it work. There's a there's a really famous bike. Um, it's called the Indian that are very they're becoming very popular now for people to try to find them in old barns, basically. Well, Indians still exist. I know that. Well, yeah, but I'm talking about the old, the oh, old the version, old like ones. the old, old 1930s ones. Yeah, those ones. Gotcha. All the hipsters want them now, huh? I have no idea if it's <laughs> hipsters or just just old, you know, shut in collectors. But people <laughs> love them, I guess. Now, Henry Ford would eventually leave Edison Illuminating Company in 1899. This was to begin his career in the automobile industry, forming his very first company, the Detroit Automobile Company. That same year, Ford, who butted heads with his investors, who really just wanted him to sell something, would actually put out a delivery truck on the market in 1900. Uh, The problem is it was highly flawed and very expensive to maintain, though the company and Henry Ford would make the claim that the vehicle was cheaper in the long run as to compared to a four horse drawn wagon, uh, which is what Obviously, the previous delivery trucks were. The delivery truck costed $1,000 in 1900. This was actually about $32,000 in today's money. Uh, Ford would later claim that he was pressured to put a vehicle, any vehicle, out on the market to make a profit and that it really just wasn't his best work. The The interesting thing is a delivery, tru- delivery truck you cannot get one for 32000 nowadays, I can guarantee you that. But uh, technically, yeah, it, in the long run, it might be more expensive because horses die, obviously, and you got to feed them and stuff like that. So, yes, there was there was actually a kind of like the old version of an Excel spreadsheet where they kind of broke down the cost of maintaining uh, this vehicle over five years as compared to maintaining a four horse drawn wagon over five years. And yeah, it was, you got to feed and house and you know, you got to shoe the horses. You have to buy all the saddles, bridles and everything. So actually he did, you know, put out the numbers saying it was cheaper to maintain this vehicle over that five years. Right. Right. I mean, it's a good strategy for him. Yeah. Also imagine how much clout, you would have back in the late 1800s if your company owned a delivery truck that was bringing around, you know, the milk or the newspapers or whatnot as compared to someone with a wagon. Yeah, you'd be fancy. I'll tell you that much. Oh, yeah. Everyone would know you're doing well. (laughs) This venture would later be organized into the Henry Ford Company. After Ford actually left that company, it would again be reorganized into Cadillac in 1902. So he started a company called the Henry Ford Company. He left it, and then they turned into Cadillac. Yeah, well, there's... So different articles that I read kind of had, like, what companies he started kind of in different order. Basically, there was this first company, Detroit Automobile Company, and there was kind of a collapse and then a reorganization. Then this Henry Ford company would kind of emerge from that. Though after Henry Ford left, then it would be turned into Cadillac. Hmm. Wouldn't that be interesting if they just kept calling it the Henry Ford company, even though he's (laughs) not there anymore? 
Yeah, that would be. And then he goes on to start Ford Motor Company, and they sue him for uh, copyright infringement. <laughs> now, I don't really, I didn't really read much into Cadillac after Henry Ford left, but kind of what I got the gist of it was they took some of Henry Ford's designs and they kind of incorporated them with the like a brand new uh, master engineer, kind of like the brand new Henry Ford who came to the company and kind of mixed those together and put out vehicles. So it was a little bit of Henry Ford and a little bit of this new company. So Okay, was the new guy named Harry Chevrolet? No, he was not. <laughs> <laughs> no, I would have to go back in my no, uh, in my research and look up the guy's name, but I didn't read too much into it, so okay. I just kind of got the gist. <laughs> okay. On June 16th, 1903, Henry Ford and his new investors would create Ford Motor Company. This was with a $28,000 investment. They would actually go on to create the company's first car on July 15th, 1903. Now, for 10 years, the Ford Motor Company would pump out cars for the American people. Uh, They would actually, a lot of people don't realize this, go on to make many different models, though they would eventually settle on their most popular one, the Model T. Now, this is until Henry Ford would enact his greatest innovation, the moving assembly line in 1913 this drastically decreased the amount of time that it would take to manufacture a model t uh basically from 12 and a half hours all the way down to one and a half hours just slightly over 90 minutes to put a model t together yep from basically bare bones to a full model t was an hour and a half and that was I mean, it's not like there was one vehicle just moving through. There were, you know, there was hundreds of vehicles being made at the same time. They were just kind of counting it as, you know, all of these spare parts would eventually just kind of like, you know, in the door as as parts, out the door as a vehicle in 90 minutes. Okay. All right. Basically, your basic uh, manufacturing plant idea as we see it now. Yeah. I mean, it is, it's basically... I mean, obviously, you know, we have robots now. We have a lot of new innovations. We have just crazy things that he couldn't even imagine. But kind of the the basics of the assembly line really haven't changed since he, you know, enacted it in 1913. Okay, so did he create the assembly line or did he copy it from somebody else? I'm pretty sure that he kind of created, there were like smaller lines but I'm pretty sure he created the, you know, birth to grave kind of idea of like the assembly line, like it moving throughout the plant. I'm pretty okay. sure he's the one who created that. Okay. I If I had a guess, now this is a purely speculative guess, I would assume he stole the idea from like uh, the Chicago Butcher uh, slaughterhouses that was really popular in the very late 1800s early 1900s where they had like people chopping up sections of them just to like constantly keep the meat moving. Do you remember all that? And it was like the most unsanitary shit ever. Yeah. The, uh, the, uh, the book, the jungle. Yeah. Yeah. And it was like the most disgusting shit ever. Yeah. That's kind of like a assembly line in reverse. That's a disassembly line Yeah, where but- they basically a cow walks in one door 
and a truck full of meat walks out the other, <laughs> basically. It's literally a cartoon. <laughs> yeah. This is, I mean, he's credited with the moving assembly line. But I mean, like I said before, there were other smaller like lines in other factories before. Basically, before he kind of made this big innovation, it was a bunch of skilled mechanics just kind of creating these cars. Yeah. And it wasn't really moving through the factory. It went from a small, you know, not a small group. There was a lot of them, but it went from, you know, not very many mechanics to thousands of workers creating these vehicles. Right, right, right. And uh, just to everybody out there, imagine doing that job. No podcast you can listen to, though. Yikes. Yep. Yeah. And it was for hours a day. Remember, the eight hour workday hadn't been created yet. The unions hadn't quite, you know, you know, put their ideas into yeah. the American workforce yet. So there was it was very, very bad conditions, though. At the Ford plant, if I was reading, <laughs> I was reading actually uh, Henry Ford's biography on the Ford's website. They were talking about how the work conditions were actually better in most than most companies because Henry Ford cared about, you know, like how his workers fared. But that was from, you know, the Ford's website. So, well, honestly, though, Phil, um, I, I would be willing to bet Henry Ford probably treated his workers better during this time than the company does right now. I would put money on that almost. Oh, I don't. The automobile unions have really taken over now. So I it's so. I yeah, no, I don't think it. I think it's much, much better now. Okay. I imagine they have. Um, like benefits and sick pay and all of that stuff, and okay. a safe and a lot safer factory too. So I just when I see like mega million corporations, I have I just never assume they actually can give a fuck about the empl- people who work there. Well, it it all well I mean this is kind of like with big corporations it all kind of breaks down. So it's you know the the thing is you're thinking of like Amazon that's. That's nah, the bad they, guy right now that everyone's kind of well, going Well, that's against. like the upper echelon, but there's <laughs> hundreds of other ones. Yeah. Well, I don't know. It's there. Well, we're, we're getting off topic. Okay. Can yeah, you, I mean, <laughs> I, I imagine it's much nicer to work at Ford now than it was back in 1913. So. Okay. All right. The, the innovation, however, would take a drastic toll on the workers, turning them from highly skilled mechanics that manufacture uh, entire quality vehicles to simple factory workers tied to a singular task on a large moving assembly line day after monotonous day. Now, because of this horribly boring work, the turnover rate at the Ford Motor Company became excessively high, soaring past 370%, meaning that to fill the 14,000 line jobs at Ford, the company would have to hire 52,000 workers a year. Yeah. Uh, not not a lot's changed in the manufacturing <laughs> wor- world in that regard because holy shit, that, that can get really boring. Yeah. I mean, the job is still boring, but there's no way that any company, no company could exist with that high of a turnover rate. You wouldn't be able to train new workers before I mean your veteran workers would have only been there for a month before they quit, you know. Yeah. I'm just saying, uh man, I've heard some horror stories from people 
uh, recently, like stacking boards all day or like, ugh, oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, there's I mean, those assembly line jobs can be pretty boring. Yeah, yeah. that's what I mean. Like there's some bad ones out there. Definitely. Now, in order to attract new workers and most importantly, hold on to the existing ones who wouldn't need to be trained, Henry Ford decided to double the pay of his workers, going on to create the $5 day, which would not only increase his workers' standards of living drastically, but also make it possible for them to one day buy their own Ford Model T. Very cool. That was uh, my grandpa's first car, by the way. Really? That's what he said. That's what he said. Model T, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, they pumped out so many. There are there's pictures of Henry Ford standing next to one of his Model Ts that's like the 10 millionth Model T and the 15 millionth Model T. I mean, there weren't a shit ton of cars before he started uh, Ford in the Model T. So, I mean, for him to put out that many vehicles, there would have had to have been a shit ton of like you would have you would have known someone with a Model T, definitely. Yeah, yeah. My grandpa just said that was his first car. I'm assuming he probably didn't get it to like the 30s or 40s or something. But <laughs> but yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, he said that was his first car. Wow. I yeah. My grandpa. I have no idea what. Uh, I imagine they weren't riding a horse and buggy. Um, but I he was born in the 30s. So my grandpa okay. was born in the 30s. So, I mean, his parents might have had a car, but they were, you know, like kind of farm, Iowa farmers. So, who knows? Yeah, I mean, my grandpa was too. God, I can't remember when my grandpa was born. I think he was like in the 1910s somewhere, maybe 1920s somewhere. Okay. Because, yeah, he's been, obviously, he's been dead a really, really long time at this point. Like over 20 years, I think, at this point. And he was like 80 when he died. So, yeah. Yeah. Trying to think. Well, I mean, Chevrolet was also around during the 30s. And there was a, there was a lot of, you know, car, um, American manufacturer companies out there. So, mm. however, this wage increase did come with some caveats as the $5 wage would not be assured. And the extra $2.50 was seen really as more of a bonus. And this was as long as the employee most likely at the time, a recent European or uh, Latin American immigrant would act correctly. And really, just in order to receive this extra $2.50, the workers had to adhere to a strict code of conduct. Okay. <laughs> I'll be yeah. curious to hear what this code of conduct is, Phil. All right. The sociological departments of Ford, created in 1914 by the head of personnel, John R. Lee, would monitor the workers both at home and on the job, even sending out investigators to the residences of Ford's workers, making sure that their homes were clean and in order. The families also were not allowed to have any renters living with them. Uh, There was also not allowed any sign of drunkenness or gambling, and definitely the wife could not work outside of the home. Henry Ford didn't want any man working for him who had a wife who worked outside of the home. Yeah. So it was was this whole like American values thing that I'm about to get into. It's kind of, you got to remember it was a hundred and 
105 years ago yeah. or 106 years ago. But it's just, I mean, just to hear it, it's so such a big brother move to do. Uh, and right. we'll get into more like there are other reasons why he was doing this, but it's I mean, make sure that no one, you know, no drunkenness or gambling, obviously, for the Irish making sure that you didn't have renters living with them. So they didn't want like a ton of people living in one dwelling. Uh, also making sure that the homes were clean and in order. Uh, these investigators would also give aid to the wives of the workers. Uh, they would do things like teach them about cleaning their homes, uh, cooking food, and also personal hygiene. Also, the investigators would check in on the workers' children to make sure that they were attending school. Also, they would go to the family's bank and make sure that they were actually putting money away into a savings account. Holy shit, that's uh <laughs> Yep. That's very big brotherish. Yes, yeah. Very, very big brother big brotherish. It's uh kind of it's I mean, it, we're going to talk about it later on, obviously, like, you know, kind of who he aligns himself with. But it kind of seems almost like a, a country that's under socialism or like deep communism might be doing this kind of stuff for their workers or the people living in their country, which considering he's like this huge capitalist, it's kind of like it's kind of weird, kind of goes against what you think of a capitalist now. Well, OK, can we or not more libertarian? I, I should say, can we not? I mean, if we're if we're being realistic here, giant capitalists like to I think in their own world, they would love to be the leader of some sort of <laughs> communist regime. Right. So maybe oh, on like definitely a, on like a, a macro scale, they yeah, are a, they are the dictators of their workers in their head. There's a lot of CEOs who kind of build up like a cult of personality, yeah. not very much like. I'm talking more like the people who started the company and are like the owner CEO, chairman of the board types, you know, kind of like this huge cult of personality. Uh, Jeff Bezos, you know, there's uh, ones from the past, uh, Carnegie, JP Morgan, just kind of like this huge, you know, kind of like aura around them. All these big tales and their legends and everything like that. So, yeah, I could definitely see that. But I, it goes against like the capitalist belief now of more like a libertarian, like pulling yourself up by your bootstraps kind of deal. Yeah. Ironically, they always say that, but generally they're the ones who yeah, are oh, pushing yeah. the other people down so they cannot pick themselves up by their bootstraps. But anyway, continue yeah, well, on. And when it comes to, you know, government bailouts, it's always capitalism, capitalism for the poor and socialism for the rich. Yeah. They're always the ones getting bailed out. So, yeah. Yeah. It's funny how that works, isn't it? Definitely. Now, all of this was an attempt to Americanize the Ford's workforce, which was kind of a hodgepodge of immigrants from all over Europe, uh, Latin America, uh, and also people, you know, from different parts of the country too. remember people were coming up from the South. Now, another way that Ford tried to Americanize their workforce was to set up the Ford English school, which taught foreign born workers, the English language in an attempt to help naturalize them. However, mostly this was to increase the safety of Ford's factories. This was by having all of the workers speaking a common language. So that uh, there was no, you know, mishaps due to miscommunication. Uh, okay, I'm going to say this doesn't sound that bad. 
This this part right here. No, this is actually kind of he's like the company's kind of lauded for this. So really, there was a lot of people who kind of like a lot of companies copied this, like I'll mention in a little bit. Okay. Yeah, it's actually not not a bad thing, but I will go into kind of a weird thing that they do Okay. Uh, for the graduation. All right. So All right. the students would have to take classes either before or after their shift, learning basic words at first. And eventually this would lead to uh, forming complex sentences, much like the language classes in school work now. The classes were not mandatory. But the leader of the school, Reverend Samuel Marquis, said that any worker who hesitated to attend class was laid off and given a chance for uninterrupted meditation and reconsideration. He also went on to say that most of those workers who were laid off came back around. Okay. All right. So, okay. I mean... I don't know if that'd be considered ethical anymore, but uh, I guess it was effective for them. No, yeah, there are there are labor laws against these kind of things. So, I mean, a company can give these as a uh, voluntary class, but there is no mandatory classes like this given anymore. Right, so. right. Although I can say there is probably some people whose first language is English who should probably take some of these classes just gonna say that yes from the city of pittsburgh definitely <laughs> i agree completely i was yeah. just gonna say like the people who refused to listen to henry ford and like wouldn't take his english classes did he just send them to pittsburgh and that's how the city got formed <laughs> i assume that's not what happened possibly off to work in the uh the iron smelting yeah maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Now, the English program was actually extremely helpful, and a certificate from the school was actually like a helpful little item that would help you to attain citizenship. Now, these programs were so successful that other companies, like I mentioned before, would mimic the practice and create English programs of their own. Okay, very cool. Yeah. Now, the weird thing about these classes was the graduation ceremony. This actually saw the students dressing in costumes emblematic of their like their home country of origin. Now they would be walking on stage and actually enter a large prop melting pot in the middle of the stage. Uh, after a couple of seconds inside this prop, they would emerge wearing suits, ties, and hats waving an American flag, having all of the foreignness casted off of their being, reborn as 100% American citizens. This is culty as shit, Phil. Definitely. Holy yeah, it, fuck. It was, uh, it kind of really felt a little bit like uh, uh, like a fraternity type situation, where almost like kind of like you're reborn as a member of the group. It's a little weird. Yeah, that's a lot of weird, I would say. Wow. Very, yeah. thi very, uh, like theatrical. Interesting. Oh yeah. Um, kind of like, actually that just made me think of the Freemasons. Yeah. Kind of like how theatrical, like they're, well, allegedly they're, they don't claim that they're, you know, where they got a, ever gotten where out, they got to slide naked down the slide. Yeah. Or like the deal with the swords and all of the, you know, someone up behind you with a knife and whatever, but yeah, it's so theatrical and so over the top. It's kind of weird. Hmm. 
Interesting. Well, I'm going to tell everybody if he joins, if, if anybody ever comes and works for Subliminal Deception Podcast, you're going to have to go through some weird shit. Let me tell you that. <laughs> yeah. Just uh, think of just some crazy shit. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Now, though these foreign-born workers were key to the success of the Ford Motor Company, Henry Ford would become disenchanted with them during World War I, when many Americans would become suspicious of German and Eastern European-born immigrants. Uh, this is also part of the program, really, of the spying. Uh, kind of, Henry Ford wanted to keep an eye on these immigrants, really. Okay. Uh, so- is another part of why he spied on his workers. So he is real suspicious of the German and uh, Eastern Bloc countries oh. then. Well, yeah. So uh, what I was saying was many Americans were becoming suspicion uh, suspicious of German and Eastern Europeans, which was the countries that we were fighting, the central powers during yeah. World War One. But I'm not sure exactly if a lot of the uh, workers at Ford were German born, but the uh, kind of like the trends of the immigration to America was a lot of Eastern European. Gotcha. Of, yeah. So a lot of like central and Eastern European and basically people coming out of world war one trying to you, escape. You know, what's you know, I find a lot really interesting about world war one. I feel like America's involvement is really overblown because yes. they avoided war at all costs. Right. And until obviously, what is the Lusitania got attacked or whatever, but they were only in the war for six months. Right. Or was it less than that? They were in it for, I think, about a year, give or take a few months. I'm not sure exactly like off the top of my head, but it was it was from like maybe 1917 to 1918. It was not for a long time. No. One thing America is kind of credited with, like sending the allies over the top, not literally over the top. You know, that was the generals forcing the, you know, the soldiers to go die that like that. But, you know, the war effort, they yeah. kind of like sprung new life into Britain and France when the Americans showed up. Well, if, you got to remember, they were making ridiculous amounts of money selling them munitions and shit, too. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Um, before America entered the war, it wasn't exactly clear who would actually win World War One. But once the Americans showed up and kind of brought all, you know, uh, fresh soldiers, uh, you got to remember, too, Germany, France, Britain were losing tens of thousands of people a day. Like in battles, they were losing they were losing hundreds of thousands of people a month. If you ever listen to Hardcore History, it's a great history podcast. He talks about World War One. It's like staggering the amount of people they lost. Yeah. Well, I think so. I think France and Germany both each had twenty million, if I remember right. Yeah. Though I'm not sure the exact numbers. But I, I looked Britain it up. Lost, yeah. Brit- yeah. Britain and the U.S. lost more than France and Germany, but France and Germany, yeah, they the toll was heavy on both of those countries. Yeah. And Russia you, wait, too. Wait, 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 wait. You mean? America and Britain lost a lot less than those two countries. Yeah, that's what I said, wasn't it? No, I think he said they lost more. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, what I meant was, <laughs> uh, or no, United States and England yes, yes. lost a lot less than France and Germany and Russia. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, it's kind of hard to beat 40 million between yeah. two countries. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, continue on. Anyway, 
these foreign-born workers would actually start to kind of decrease a little bit as Ford's overall workforce, as the immigration of African-Americans fleeing the South and moving up North for opportunities and jobs began filling out the workforce in the 20s, though these workers were only given the most dangerous jobs, including that of working at the forges and foundries that created the parts for the Model Ts. Now, along with these unsavory positions, African-American workers were not allowed to be promoted uh, higher than basically what they came in as in the company. Ooh, that's not good. Yeah. Now, this was during the time of the Jim Crow laws. Mm. Uh, Ford Motor Company was actually one of the few companies that would not only hire non-white workers, but they would also have their compensation be on par with that of their white counterparts. So, I mean, compared to other companies, Ford actually was, you know, doing good. You know, they were actually given a lot of like, you know, kind of celebrated a little bit for hiring African-Americans and paying them. The problem was they they had the glass. Yeah, they gave them bad jobs and the glass ceiling started off right above the top of their head. So. Gotcha. Okay. All right. Well, I mean, it's, uh, you know, I, I don't know. It's, it, it's it was so long ago, you know. It's like I guess technically for the time, he was progressive. <laughs> yeah, he was actually. I mean, I was gonna say that a little bit. He was seen as progressive for his hiring practices, but the problem is once they got into the fact, once they got into the job, they were kind of locked in to this terrible job. But they did have a job, and they had you know uh, good money. By this time, the five dollar workday was actually kind of common um, a lot of other companies had to move to a five dollar day too so that's another good thing that ford did was he kind of got all of the automobile industry up to par with that five dollar a day pay gotcha. but i mean paying paying african-american workers the same as white workers at the time was very very progressive so yeah. in the 1920s yeah i could see that a third and final reason for that espionage program that we mentioned before was, of course, to keep a watchful eye on any union activity among Ford's workforce, (laughs) as Henry Ford really hated unions and didn't want anyone besides himself to decide what his workers pay or working conditions would be. He felt that he knew best, definitely. (sighs) All these old uh, Titan dudes, they... Yeah, they don't want anybody telling them what they can and can't do with their workers. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, like I've been through history classes where we learned about when the Pinkertons get involved, uh, which is basically a paid militia that you can hire to go bust up unions. And it was completely legal at the time to do this. They would, you know, basically just try to bust any strikes uh, by Mm. any means necessary, you know, guns, you know fists, whatever they wanted. So this was a pretty horrible time. It was kind of like the the progressive era, really when unions like pro work and pro union kind of really clashed. So might be worth cover one day. Definitely. Now, during the height of the Great Depression, Ford would try and stamp out union activities by suppressing a 1932 workers march from Detroit to the new Ford River Rouge Industrial Complex in Dearborn, Michigan. Now, the strike 
which had between three to 5,000 marchers, was going to deliver some of the demands to Henry Ford personally. These demands were the workers' ability to unionize, health care for workers who had been laid off due to depression, uh, an end to the company's racial discrimination, among many others. Okay, everything sounds pretty reasonable, if you ask me. Yeah, definitely. I mean, for today, that all seems very reasonable, but at the time, it'd be pretty radical. I mean, just just the first one, the ability to unionize, which would have been kind of like the most important point. They didn't have that right to form a union or even to start the process of forming a union. Healthcare for workers laid off due to depression, the people working at the factory would have been lucky to have healthcare at that time. Right. And the racial discrimination... Uh, by law, in some states, racial discrimination was the law. Right. So it's one of those. It's like now, it doesn't seem very, you know, crazy. But back then, it was, you know, for the time. If only Henry Ford would have in- invented that little, uh, either VHS tape or computer program you watch at jobs, talking about how evil unions are and how oh, they yeah. ruin everything for you. That you watch <laughs> at like Walmart and shit like that. Amazon. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You have to watch it there. <laughs> you have to watch it every morning at uh, <laughs> at breakfast. Before you clock in. Yeah. I'm, I'm just kidding. They don't get breakfast. <laughs> As the marchers reached the Fort Street Bridge, police and company security began firing tear gas into the crowd, attempting to break up the march, though the workers would fight back, throwing some of the police to the ground. Now, this prompted the police and security forces to turn the fire hoses on the protesters. Now, this all went completely downhill when the head of Ford security, Harry Barnett, was really like gruesomely injured. I guess he like hurt his head uh, after he was thrown to the ground. Now, this prompted police and guards to fire their guns at the protesters. Ooh, okay. So the protesters uh, threw Henry Barnett down to the ground. Yeah, Harry Barnett. Okay. After the after the leader of the security force, Harry Barnett was injured, that's when the firing started. Okay, not good. 60 protesters were injured and 5 of them actually died from the attack. Four right away and one uh you know shortly thereafter. The Ford secure the Ford Service Department Ford Motor Company's private police force actually was really just composed at the time of ex-convicts, ex-cops, and gang members. Kind of wow. just there just to bust up unions. Jesus, he sounds like the door greeters for Walmart, Phil. Jesus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> A lot of ex-convicts and ex-gang members up there. No, yeah. but also- uh, yeah, yeah. Jesus, I didn't even know they had their own private police force. Yeah, kind of sounds like the... Uh, the offensive line for the Pittsburgh Steelers <laughs> yeah. a little bit. Now, Joe Busel, Joe York, Coleman Lenny, and Joe de Blasio were buried within sight of the River Rouge Industrial Complex. There was actually a fifth deceased worker, an African-American man named Curtis Williams, though his body was not allowed to be buried at the same cemetery as the other four men. Uh, his ashes would actually be scattered on the factory grounds, by uh, basically just opening up an airplane and letting out his ashes. 60,000 mourners were a part of the procession to the gravesites. When their headstones were added to the gravesites later, though, in Woodmere Center Cemetery, uh, Curtis Williams 
would have his headstone added to the other four. So interesting. Now, the all of them are buried. Okay, let me see if I'm reading this right. The first four were literally buried on the factory grounds. Very close, within sight, at Woodmere Cemetery. Uh, I don't, I don't, I don't want to be anywhere near where I work. <laughs> Fucking a. I feel really, obviously, feel really bad for Curtis, but God having his damn. ashes scattered on the grounds. God, I mean, at least it was in a plane, and a plane was kind of, kind of a little rare for this time, right? To be flying around. Yeah, I mean, I late nineteen thirties. It, you would probably seaplanes but you probably never rode in one yeah Uh, anyway another attack against unionization occurred in 1937 at what will become known as the battle of the overpass when ford's men encountered a group of organizers attempting to pass out leaflets during a shift change at the rouge complex harry barnett the man who was previously injured in the head and his and his thugs charged at the protesters, beating many of them, even throwing one man off the side of the overpass. Uh, he actually fell 30 feet and ended up breaking his back. Jesus. Harry, uh, Harry Barnett would have been perfect for hell in the cell. Jesus. But uh, yeah. he he was actually kind of like Ford's right hand man in the security department is kind of like how I read it. Yeah, so. he's like that one dude who beats up. People for uh, the Scientologist guy. I can't oh, remember. Yeah. Miscavige. Miscavige well, is uh, his, his goon. Remember the uh, the guy who flipped on him? I can't remember his name. He's like, he's doing In the documentary. Yeah, he's doing clear. a tell all now, but it's just because I think he fell out of favor with Miscavige. But anyway, that's besides the point here. Uh, Probably yeah. got tired of getting slapped. Probably. <laughs> Slap you. <laughs> uh but yeah wow that's uh surprised he didn't die yeah i mean really i don't know if he landed on concrete or if he landed on like you know dirt or whatnot but yeah 30 feet broke his back um it was just yeah it was a real like a real battle back then for all of this can you imagine though honestly and this probably isn't that funny but uh Harry Barnett's throwing this guy over, and you just hear the, what with Jerry the King Lawler like yelling. Oh, Jim Ross, good yeah, God Jim Almighty. Ross. That's who I'm thinking of. Where what does he say? Oh my God, he's killed him. Yeah, <laughs> shouldn't <laughs> probably laugh at a guy nearly dying, but yeah, well, it would be. I it's a hundred. It was a hundred years ago. Fuck it. Yeah. Eventually, in 1941, Ford Motor Company would be forced to cave. They would cave into the demands of the unions after the U.S. government would told Henry that they would actually cancel his very lucrative defense contract if he continued to block worker organization. Ooh, you don't mess with 1941, money. World War I. Yeah. World, World War II. II. Yeah. 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 One possible reason for why Henry Ford hated unions so much was because he believed that they were led and organized by a group of people that he absolutely despised. And that group would, of course, be the Jewish people. Okay. All right. Now we're getting to the nuts and bolts of Henry Ford here. All right. Yep. Kind of uh, kind of the cherry on top of this shit cake yeah. coming up right here. So. Let's hear it. Henry Ford was an ardent anti-Semite who believed that an international Jewish conspiracy 
uh, were actually running the unions, the banks, and the media throughout the world. Now, Ford, capitalizing on the growth of anti-immigrant and anti-Jewish sentiment in the country, bought a small fledgling Michigan newspaper named the Dearborn Independent in 1918. He actually ran a weekly series of articles on the cover of this newspaper. This series was named The International Jew, The World's Problem. Now, these essays were based on the Protocols of the Elders of Zion, a firmly debunked piece of anti-Jewish propaganda, uh, really just meant to spread the theory of a worldwide Jewish money conspiracy. Mm, okay. Here's the real question. If they're publishing this every week, uh, don't they run out of shit to talk about eventually? Yeah, it was a long series of okay. <laughs> a long series of essays, basically. And yeah, I mean, they would later on be kind of combined. But yeah, every week they these would be put out. So this is like the goosebumps of anti-Semitic uh, <laughs> newspapers here. A, a little bit, yeah. Okay. Kind of like the Calvin and Hobbes, like it comes out every week. Gotcha. Yeah. Kids, get me the anti-Semite <laughs> section of the newspaper, would you? Please. <laughs> when you're done reading the comics, give me that uh, international <laughs> Jew article. I got to read this shit. I want to hear about the sports scores and what the Jews are up to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, look, now, honey, the Braves won, and uh, now the Jews are taking over the world. All right. The Braves won, and the Jews own the Falcons. Okay. Uh, okay. <laughs> now, the Dearborn Independent was distributed in all four dealerships. Uh, later... He would actually begin printing all of the series of essays into four separate books, which would fall into the lap of an emerging Nazi party leader named Adolf Hitler. Henry Ford would even be mentioned in Hitler's 1925 manifesto, Mein Kampf, with the quote, It is Jews who govern the stock exchange for forces of the American Union. Every year makes them more and more controlling masters of the producers in a nation of 120 million. Only a single great man, Ford, to their fury, still maintains full independence. Wow. Okay. Jesus. Uh, wow. I don't know if you want to be mentioned in that book. Yeah, you definitely don't want to get a shout out in that book. I mean, in 1925, you probably really liked it. Yeah, uh, yeah. After, you know, after the war and after Hitler's name took quite a drag through the mud, he probably didn't like it that much. But. Okay, here's a question, though. Correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't somebody else technically assist him in writing that book? Uh, I thought he wrote it in prison. That's. I thought that's when he wrote See, it. See, I did too, but I, I feel like he was... There's like a shadow writer or something. You're like somebody who is filling his head with all this shit or something. I don't, I don't know. think I don't know if he had any help filling his head with, you know, anti-Semitic propaganda. Mm, but yeah, yeah uh, I, I, I don't I don't know about that. Yeah, no. Yeah, I, I the, the the message here is you don't want to shout out in Mein Kampf. No. Yeah, definitely. You don't want your name mentioned in that book. Now, in 1938. Henry Ford would receive the Grand Cross of the German Eagle from Germany, which, which was the country's highest award presented to a foreigner. Before the United States entered the war, Ford was actually manufacturing war vehicles for the Wehrmacht's 
blitzkrieg effort. The Wehrmacht is the uh, German army. Uh, with one article that I read stating that a U.S. Army report produced by Henry Schneider claimed that Ford, of that Ford Motor Company of Germany, was solely creating vehicles of war for the military. This was even before World War II had begun. Now, by 1942, it's claimed that one third of the German Army's 350,000 trucks were produced by Ford. Ooh, god damn, he's he's helping the Nazis more than the fucking Catholic Church did, Phil. Yeah, definitely. Jesus. Uh, so the picture below is actually Henry Ford being presented with the uh, German cross of the Germany or Grand Cross of the German Eagle. Holy shit! Okay, I thought maybe like uh, uh, Harold Chevrolet was framing him, but uh, fuck, I don't, I don't know. It's this picture; it's hard to disprove it right there. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Cadillac isn't uh, putting out their propaganda if they got this picture right here. So <laughs> no. Now, another huge accusation against Ford Motor Company during the war years was the use and the profiting of forced labor in their German plants. Uh, this was even while the factory was still underneath the control of the Dearborn uh, Ford Motor Company offices. Now, the claims were that forced labor was used in the Cologne plant after the call for military recruits of Germany actually depleted the factory's workforce. Okay, now, to be devil's advocate here, could it be possible they didn't know that there was forced labor going on there? Yes, yeah, that's kind of, uh, I'll get into it a little bit, but there is, uh, they claim that they did not have control of the, the factory. Yeah. In Europe. I mean, at the time, if, if I'm being honest and being like as level headed as I could be, I think they not that they probably cared, but I could see in the height of the war, probably didn't know what was going on. Yeah, this was before the United States uh, declared war on Germany. Yeah, but what I'm saying is like forced labor. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I, I, I can't Phil. I can't get this image out of my head. Like, if you go to Ford.com and you see, like, our history, and then it just has this picture right here, like Henry Ford shaking hands with two Nazis. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I wish they would put that on their website. Him receiving the uh, the cross of the German eagle. Yeah. I have a feeling they don't have any mention of that on their website. No, no. When I read his biography on their website, he had absolutely none of this mentioned about him. So, no, <laughs> or not about even a the thing. international Jew? No. Nope. Nothing about that. <laughs> Actually, it was kind of funny that I was in a class once and they were teaching us how to use um the libraries, kind of like the archive system of the library. And he actually like, yeah, if you want to just read something about Henry Ford, you just go here and you click, you type in Henry Ford and you just click, I'll just click on the first thing that comes up. And uh, basically it said El Jude. It was a Spanish art, Spanish language article. And I was just like, ooh, that's not a good uh, first article to <laughs> pop up on. on. It's the Jew, basically. Yeah. Ooh, now all I can think about is like. Ford's releasing a new pack, custom package for their like F one fifty call. It's like the uh, what would it be? T I J package, the International Jew package. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ! Anyway, yeah. I'm sorry, we're getting too bad here. Uh, yeah, Henry Ford, he's a dickhead. Yeah. Now there would be a lawsuit against Ford Motor Company 
due to the use of forced labor in their German factory, though it would actually be thrown out due to the statutes of limitations going going out, uh, with Ford claiming that any forced labor occurring at the factory actually took place after the Third Reich had taken over control of the plants. Basically, that happened after the U.S. declared war on Germany. Yeah, yeah, kind of like you mentioned. It'd be kind of hard to, I mean, it's such a turbulent time in the world, like... It's going to be kind of hard to sue them, I feel like. Yeah, especially this. I mean, the the lawsuit occurred decades after the end of the war. Yeah. So all of the people who would have been, you know, alive or working at Ford during that time were probably either not working there or dead at the time. Yeah, so. yeah absolutely. Now, though, there are accusations of Henry Ford not wanting the United States to go to war at all against Nazi Germany. Actually... Like, kind of one thing you have to remember, the Ford Motor Company was instrumental in the production of war-fighting materials for the Allies. Now, after the end of the war, Henry Ford actually died at his residence in Dearborn, Michigan, on April 7th, 1947. And this was following a lethal cerebral hemorrhage. Uh, He actually died at the age of 83. So, he made it pretty long for back then. Yeah. Okay, so... So before or either prior to World War II or in the very beginning, he was assisting Germany with making their vehicles for the army or whatever. But then the Wehrmark, yeah. But then Ford started making vehicles and stuff for the Allies. Yes, yeah. So the allegation is that Ford's uh, German plant that they had was actually making. Uh, military trucks for the the German military okay. for the Blitzkrieg to you know move their stuff around. And uh, this was actually before because you got to remember after Pearl Harbor, that's when America really mobilized and sent out all of those government contracts to any manufacturer. So it would have been he would have been making uh, Ford Motor Company would have been making vehicles for the Nazis before. They were making vehicles for the U.S. military, but but you like you kind of made it sound like it's confirmed that like Henry Ford was okay with making vehicles for Nazi Germany. Well, it, it's not. I mean, there isn't any confirmation. It was Henry Ford was you know pushing this through, but it was the Ford Motor Company. They were all you know. It's all tied together, like okay. all of the offices. Gotcha. So, so he had to have there, known. There are there is a there is a German kind of like person who's actually running the plant over in Germany. But I mean, it is it's all the same company. So it's not uh, it's not a separate company. It's all the same offices. So gotcha. Okay. Okay. So maybe the moral of that story is Henry Ford's hate for you know Henry Ford being an anti semite. Um, clearly his love for money outweighed that. Yeah, it was, I mean, I'm not sure if his love for money meant that he hated Jewish people. No, 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 no. What I'm saying is if they were initially helping the Nazi party, whether he knew about it or not, I'm sure he knew something about it. And then they switched over to helping the allies, right? Uh, or started helping them. Oh, that was... Yeah, that was all about money, too. That's what I'm saying. Those government contracts were super lucrative. So that's what I'm saying. Like, it didn't matter whose side he 
technically wanted to be on, whoever gave him the most money is where he went. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's any, you know, American company, really. Right, right. But I mean, at the time, you know, you're kind of it's it's not very ethical to, you know, make make material for both sides to sell weapons to both sides. So, yeah, tell that to the Catholic Church, Phil. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, but uh... (laughs) so I I was actually also going to mention, too. So one of the one of the crazy things that Henry Ford did, but I really couldn't fit it into any of like the topics for the episode. So I figured I'd just kind of mention it at the end. So in 1919, Henry Ford actually claimed that he was leaving Ford Motor Company and that he was going to start a new rival company that was going to make basically the same car, but for much cheaper and uh, like much better. He said that he was going to uh, basically put Ford Motor Company out of business. This caused all of the investors to panic sell their stock in the company. And uh, I guess basically Henry Ford, his wife and his son bought all of those shares at bargain prices and got 100% full control over the company. So it's this kind of like weird trick that they used for this hostile takeover. Interesting. I guess it's kind of smart though. Yeah. I mean, you basically nearly killed your company just to gain complete control. And then what what happened is he put his son as like the new president of the company. But even though, I mean, he was still the 100% stock owner. So he was still technically in charge of it, even though his son was the, the, you know, the CEO, the leader of the company. But after his son died, he would again become the leader of the company, the CEO. Gotcha. Okay. Very interesting. Well, you know, there's some things I knew about Henry Ford. Obviously, he's a dickhead. Uh, I feel like he's very complicated because obviously his hatred of the Jewish people is outlandish. There's like literally no reason for it. But he also did like some really good things. So it's like kind of... He's a mixed bag. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was he such an anti-Semite because he belonged to a certain religion that was opposed to him? Was that like no? The it's just. It? I mean, it's just a sign of the time, really. Um, Anti-immigration, anti, kind of like nationalist movements, fascist movements, really started popping up all over the world at this time, and America kind of got swept up in it, but not. Not like a hundred percent. They didn't go full bore into the nationalist movements. But if you if you read in the history books, there definitely were some nationalist movements that were popping up in America during this time. Gotcha. Okay. I yeah. I always figured it was because he was either like a staunch Catholic or like a staunch Protestant or something, because they always had problems with everybody who wasn't <laughs> fucking Protestant. Who are Catholic, you know what I mean? So And they all hated Jewish people. Oh, absolutely. So, yeah. Still do a lot of them. <laughs> uh, honestly, if we're being honest here, uh, you know, they can only have one religion. I wouldn't say in modern days they hate Jews, the Jewish people. I would just say that they only think their religion is the other one that's like worth a damn, you know, I guess. Blessed uh, by Jesus. Yeah, yeah. Jesus so. Jesus shows up at our house every Sunday for dinner. So that's that's the one that's right. Yep. <laughs> All right. Give us some final words on your feeling, overall feelings about Henry Ford after you've kind of uh, looked into his life and all this shit. It's a little it's a little weird. He's kind of seems like uh like a troubled genius type 
type character a little bit. Uh, don't really, I mean, he did a lot of good, like you said, it's a mixed bag. He did a lot of good stuff. He did a lot of bad stuff. Uh, had some horrible views on just about everybody who wasn't Henry Ford. So really, <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's just like one of those billionaire millionaire types who hates everyone who's not him. Kind of. He thinks like, like uh, we learned about Jeff Bezos a few weeks ago. He thinks that everyone's lazy uh, who works at his fact, who works yeah. at his Amazon yeah. warehouses. That's why he basically puts a cap of three years on all the workers. Cause he just assumes they're going to be lazy after three years. Same, probably the same type of dude. You know, I don't know if Jeff Bezos hates Jews as much as Henry Ford did, but you know, I wouldn't put it past him to be honest with you. Um, yeah. I don't know. Maybe it's just, I, they say a lot of CEOs are sociopaths, so maybe. <laughs> oh, that's true. You know what? Maybe yeah. Henry Ford, he's really smart, but maybe he just didn't really have. I don't know. Whatever a sociopath has doesn't just thinks everybody's stupid. I guess I don't know. I don't know how they feel. Uh, but yeah, I I really like this. I hope you, much like your dictator series, I hope you do maybe some uh, vintage capitalist. Like Mr. Henry Ford here. Yeah. Well, maybe in a few years we can do Jeff fucking Bezos too. That'd be Ooh, actually pretty good. Ah, but he's he's still out there causing trouble. So Yeah, we gotta find copies of his international Jew newspaper. We haven't quite found <laughs> them yet. <laughs> we we find his internet he's got some uh some pseudonym out there. He's posting all of his hate, probably. Yeah, he's probably have to pay for an audible membership or something <laughs> to find it. But uh but yeah, excellent job, Phil. Excellent. Now if anybody is a proud owner of a Ford vehicle and would like to dispute any of these claims, where can they do that, Phil? They can hit us up on our email, like I mentioned before, subliminaldpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, it's great hearing from everybody. You know, love all the emails we've been getting. Uh, we also have an Instagram page that's probably even easier to get a hold of us, Subliminal Deception Podcast on IG. Uh, thank you for all of the replies, all of the likes, you know, everything. You know, even the, the episode ideas have been great. Uh, Cody and I both also have our own Instagram accounts. Mine is SDPodPhil. Cody, you got one? Yeah, you can follow me on Instagram at CodyZabub. Uh, last thing we need you guys to do is to log on to iTunes, leave the show five-star review. doesn't really matter what you say as long as it is a five-star. I know they've been, uh, you guys have been great on that, popping off on that. And uh, we love our beautiful Spotify followers as well. If you would like to help us out, just hit the follow button on Spotify. It's basically like a review. It helps boost us up the charts, which we have definitely noticed has been making a difference lately. Well, guys, I hope you enjoyed a little uh, piece of Americana history with a genius who wasn't very nice in Henry Ford. We'll see you guys next week. Thanks, guys. <laughs>